Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teachings he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Gene. Well, as you were listening to this parable from Jesus, um, if you were listening closely, I can imagine you might have a few questions. Questions like, did, I mean, are we really talking about the devil this morning? Or does what Jesus said here, like quoting that Old Testament verse, does he not want people to understand the message and turn and repent, what, what's going on here? Um, because even though this is a widely known parable of Jesus, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You won't find it in John because, well, John doesn't actually have any parables. Um, but uh, there's a little sneaky part right here in the middle that probably is the secret to this passage, the secret to maybe even the question that you may have had burning the most when you heard it read, and that is, Jesus talks about the secret of the kingdom, and that he's given his disciples the secret of the kingdom. And so I can imagine the main question for us, despite all the ancillary questions that could creep in, is what is the secret of the kingdom? And can we find it out? Can we know it? Did Jesus just share it and you know, we got to decipher it with a code. What's this secret of the kingdom? 
And so that's what we're going to talk about today, is actually how we can know what the secret of the kingdom is. And just even that phrase, the secret of the kingdom, is a little cryptic at first, but what if I came and said, hey, do you want to know the secret of the stock market? Or do you want to know the secret of cryptocurrency? Right? Or do you want to know the secret of fat loss? Or the secret of strength? You want to know the secret too? What is that always getting at? It's how do you unlock the power? How do you tap in and get all the benefits that might be there? And so what's the secret of the kingdom? You want to know how to get all the power, all the benefits of what Jesus says he is doing here in his ministry and he's working in the world, the, the power of the kingdom of God. Do you want to know the secret to that so you can have it in your life? Well, you're going to need to know two things. You need to know how it works. We're going to say it works like a seed. And then you're going to need to know how to get that into your life. And you see, well, that's going to work like soil. So we'll look at seed and soil this morning. How do we get that power in our lives? And then how, how does that power work in our lives? But before we get too quickly into what's the meaning of this parable, what's the meaning of the seed, what's the meaning of the soil, right? I want to first kind of back up and just start with why is Jesus telling this parable? You see, there's actually not a lot of extended teaching times in the Gospel of Mark. There's really only two. It's here in Mark 4, and then the next one is later in Mark chapter 13. And if you think this one's crazy, just buckle up for Mark 13, all right? where Jesus talks about end times. I, I can't just leave that hanging out there. It's end times, right? So that's Mark 13. That one's coming, okay? So here we have an extended portion of Jesus' teaching. And it begins with, and he began to teach beside the sea. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. But here's the tricky part, is that up until this point, we haven't really heard Jesus pick the topic of a sermon since Mark chapter 1, actually. Because all of the teaching that we've gotten from Jesus so far is, well, it says he goes into the synagogue, he began to teach, and then before we're told what he was teaching, it talks about how either a miracle opportunity breaks out, right? Some guys drop from the ceiling and they want to be healed, some of the stories we've looked at, or a man with a withered hand, right? Miracle opportunity, or we see him teaching, but he's answering questions from the religious leaders. Objections, they're trying to trip him up and we see his answers. And so here we have in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus is saying, you know, if I get to pick the topic, right, and I'm not just answering your objections, if you want to know what I want to talk about, well, I want to talk about, what we'll see here is the kingdom of God, the secret of the kingdom of God. And this actually fits with Mark chapter 1, because when Jesus picks the topic of the sermon in Mark chapter 1, it says, he came teaching, proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God, that what Jesus wants to talk about, what he wants to teach us about is the secret of the kingdom of God. And the reason that he's getting at that now is that if so far, the secret hasn't really been unlocked. So far, what we've read from Mark chapters 2 and 3, and particularly in Mark chapter 3, is the religious leaders of the day have already started to plot to kill him. Jesus' own family thinks that he's delusional, and they literally say, man, this guy's out of his mind. Like, we got to reel him in. He's making the family look bad. And yet, before that, though, Jesus said to these fishermen, follow me. 
And they like leave everything and follow him. So why is it that some people respond to leave everything and follow him and other people think he's out of his mind and other people are plotting to kill him? How is it that all this talk of the kingdom of God is getting such a mixed reaction? And Jesus says, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I'm getting such a mixed reaction. I'll tell you the secret to the kingdom to unlock it. You see, what Jesus is doing is that he's answering the question about the kingdom of God and why his family and some of the most important people of the day from business, government, academia, and religion all aren't buying the kingdom. He's going to answer that by saying, here's how the power is going to work. And Right off the bat, you look at this parable and think, oh, it's the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. But before we get into the soils, which kind of take front and center, underlying the assumption of all of this is, well, what's the seed mean? And it's the seed that, as we look at, that's going to tell us how the power of the kingdom works. So let's dive in then. How does the power of the kingdom work? If this is why Jesus is telling the parable. He's saying, well, because you don't totally understand how this works, and you can see why it's getting different reactions, well, how does it work? Well, to, do, to get into this then, to start to pick this lock, is we have to understand, well, what is a parable? Right? A parable is kind of an extended metaphor with you know, uh, a clear meaning. So literally, the word for parable would mean to set something side by side. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 4. Is he's saying, the kingdom of God, what should we compare it to? What should we set it next to so that we can understand it? And he says, well, it's like a seed. In this case, you talk, he's talking about a farmer who scatters seed, a farmer who sees seed. And then it will end with even the famous, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And what's dangerous with parables is that when you try to interpret their meaning... If you overinterpret it, where you give every little piece a meaning and you don't see kind of the whole meaning that he's trying to create, you, you torture the metaphor and it kind of totally falls apart. Right? But at the same time, you're then, well, then how do you get at the meaning? Now, thankfully, this morning, I've been assigned a text with the cheat sheet, right? The notes are in the back of the book. This is the, uh, what is it, the odd the odd problems in the algebra textbook have the answers in the back, or the even ones. Whichever ones have the answers in the back, that's the problem that we have before us. Thankfully, the answers are there. Either because Jeff is kind, or he thought he needed the extra help, right? But we have the answers before us. But as easy as it may be then for us to see, oh, well, of course, the soils, like we kind of get it, Jesus unpacked it. Oh, that makes total sense. I just want you to picture for a minute why this would have been so hard to understand. Jesus stands up, and he's, he's on this boat, on the sea, and they've kind of measured the acoustics of like, would this actually have worked? And yes, it would have been like a good thing to do to kind of amplify his voice so he could teach to all these crowds. Imagine he's got all these crowds before him. And to just use modern day, imagine I come up here, and I stand before you, and I say, behold, a person took a photo and posted it on Twitter but the trolls came and devoured it. So, the person posted on Facebook where a few followers, mostly grandparents, liked it, but then it was lost to misinformation and conspiracy theories. So, the person posted on Instagram, 
but ads for leggings and athleisure wear overtook it. So the person dropped the photo in their group text, where their close friends gave it many thumbs up and hearts and likes and even some gifs, which weirdos pronounce gifs, right? Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. That would be the weirdest sermon. You'd be like, what's the point? What's, what, am I, what am I supposed to do, right? And like, I don't even sneak in, you know, jokes about uh, how Android users like totally mess up the format of the group chat. I don't give any applications. It's just, there it is. That's it. All. Sermon's done. I mean, be short. Be nice. We'd be out of here quick, right? Super Bowl preparations would be easy today. But... It'd be weird. And so I love the idea of like the disciples, you know, because they're like close to Jesus. Maybe they're in the boats. And so the crowds are watching them as they're hearing it. And like they have to like protect the look on their face of like, wait, what did he say? I mean, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally get it. Totally get it. And then like later they're talking, they're like, yeah, did you know what he meant? I didn't know what he meant. And so then they kind of have to go to Jesus and try and like get the answers out of him without letting him know that they have no clue what he's been talking about. Like, yo, so Jesus, we were, we were talking about the seed and like what we think it means, but like, what, what, I mean, what'd you think? What'd you think? Like, who's right? Oh, no, no, you tell us first. You tell us, then we'll tell you what we thought. Um, and, and they have no clue what's happening. But thankfully, they have Jesus. They have Jesus, and they come to him, and he does explain the parable. And he says that the power of the kingdom of God works like a seed. And so right off the bat, we see that the kingdom of God, the secret to it, is that it doesn't seem like much, but it's incredibly transformative. The secret to the kingdom of God is that it doesn't seem like much, but it's incredibly transformative. Right, so he says the seed represents the word, yeah? And the word is the gospel, yeah? And the gospel is that Jesus has brought the kingdom of God, and what's that? Well, that's his ruling, reigning power. Well, to kind of get at how Mark set up what we mean from, by the kingdom of God, he doesn't come out and say what it is by describing it, but he gives us a little bit of a story. Because if you remember, before Jesus' sermon about the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 1, we're told that Jesus is baptized, and then he goes out into the wilderness where he does battle with Satan. He's tempted by Satan. Now, unlike Matthew, Luke, we're not told what happens there. But you can imagine, if you're reading it for the first time, you're like, like so what happened? And then it says, Jesus came back. You're like, so what happened? And then it says, Jesus began to preach. And you're like, so what happened? And he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what Mark is powerfully trying to share in just a few short verses, without describing everything that happened, he's saying, you know, Satan's been undefeated so far in tempting human beings. Undefeated from the beginning of creation. Until this one time, and Jesus comes back and he says, I've won. All the power of evil and darkness and sin has been shattered and broken by the power of the kingdom of God coming into this world through Jesus Christ. That we live now in an unprecedented time with what God is doing. 
And this gets at the nature of the kingdom of God and the nature of how that will transform us. So the kingdom is totally unassuming. No one looks at a seed and thinks, wow, that's amazing. And it doesn't come in to knock us over the head or crush us or destroy us. Instead, it's going to come by love and persuasion. It's going to come through service and sacrifice. And because what could have been more unassuming than, well, a man from not anywhere famous of menial job who honestly dies young, doesn't really have a successful ministry because even though he's kind of a flash-in-the-pan success, he dies where basically his closest followers abandon him and turn their backs on him. But Jesus told his disciples in John 12 that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it dies alone. But if it does fall to the ground and die, it'll bear much fruit. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do, is he comes as the seed to die for us so that we could bear much fruit. If you think about it like this, if the kingdom of God is a seed and not a stone, right? It's a seed, not a stone. A stone kind of comes in and just like displaces everything. And it makes like a big impact and it's splashy and it seems powerful and it seems great. And you're like, yeah. And, you know, if you feel bad, you can beat yourself up with this stone and you can look at this stone and say, yeah, we need to harden up and toughen up and get after it. But it doesn't actually change the soil. It just kind of moves it around. It just displaces it. Where a seed, on the other hand, completely transforms it. So the kind of change Jesus is after is not quick and instant and hard, but it's, it's deep and long, but completely transformative. He does this basically through, through loving us. So I'm reading this story with our kids, and it's kind of allegorical in the sense that the heroes in this story, they're, they're getting these pieces of armor, and one of the pieces of armor that they get is they get this seed, and the seed is supposed to be their shield, right? And they aren't totally sure how it works and why it's going to work, and they're thinking, how is this seed going to protect me from anything, you know, as they go into this, this battle? And I'm talking with my kids about it, and they're like, yeah, like, wouldn't a better shield be something, like, made out of metal, and that's what one of the characters does. He goes and makes this big metal shield, and it's like heavy and strong and durable, but actually it can't really protect them that much because it's not very useful. And then in the end, the, the battle that they're up against just totally destroys and disintegrates any kind of metal shield. They need something more powerful, the seed. And so, you know, I know where the story's kind of going, and, and so I use... I use this with the kids, and I say, you know, well, like, what would be more powerful, like a big stone metal shield or a seed? So, of course, you know, they fall for the trap, and they're like, stone and metal, like titanium shield. Like, you know, they're, they're coming up with good elements, right? I'm like, well, think about it, though. Doesn't a seed beat those every time? You plant a seed in the ground and then drop a stone on it. What happens? Well, they're like, well, the, the stone crushes it. I'm like, yeah, at first, but give it 10, 20, 30, 40 years, that stone is shattered, split, and an oak tree stands in the middle of it. The seed wins every time. 
The seed wins every time because it completely transforms what it sinks into. Completely transforms it. And Jesus is saying that that's what's going to happen for you, is that I'm going to plant the power of the kingdom of God. The secret is that it's a seed. It's going to be unassuming but utterly transformative. And I know for myself, and I'm sure for many of you, if you can relate, that what I think Jesus is going to do in my life is more like with a stone or more like dynamite. Like he's going to blow some stuff up, clear some paths, right? Carve some things, build some things, like powerful, crazy stuff. And Jesus is like, oh, no, no, no. It's going to be way more powerful and way crazier than that because it's going to be a seed. And it's not just going to move stuff around in your life. It's going to completely transform your life. So the question for us this morning is, are you relating to God, knowing that how he wants to work in your life is as a seed, not as a stone, that he wants to come in and completely transform you, completely overtake you, not just move some things around by making you feel guilty. Why is that there? Let's get that out of here. Move that out. But instead, he wants to completely subsume and change everything. And he's going to do that through love and service, not coming in and force and power and let's get this changed. And there's, there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But it's much, much deeper what God wants to do in your life. Jesus wants living, obedient, loving friends, family, children. That's what you're invited into, is you're invited into a living relationship with God, not cold-hearted obedience where you just kind of have to be a servant. What God wants for you is so much more than you might be settling for. He wants to transform you, not just break you. So that leaves the question then of how do we get this power into our life? If this is what God wants to do and this is kind of how it's going to work, it's going to work like a seed, how do we get that power into our lives? And Jesus kind of gives us the answer. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. But the way that we get that power in our lives is through hearing. And so if the what of the kingdom is the seed, and that's how it's going to work in your life. How do we get that into our lives? Well, that's where we need to be like the soil. And this is why Jesus picked the soil. And in many ways, this kind of forms a test for us, a test for us now, even as we're hearing, to ask, how am I receiving the seed of the word of God? How am I tapping into this power, this secret. Am I doing it the right way or the wrong way? And he says, well, I'll give you an example. And so he's going to give us three ways that we could totally miss it, and then the way that we do get that power into our lives. And so we'll, we'll move through these fairly quickly, even though we could spend so much time on each one of them. And so if you look at the first soil, the first set of soil, as Jesus explains, he says, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes, take the word that is sown in them. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. So we have two there right away. Let's take that first one, which is that hard, shallow path where it doesn't even get in at all. It just falls in a path. Some of this gets at how ancient agriculture was done, 
right, where you'd have these hard paths and these long, narrow fields where everyone would kind of walk through the fields. You know, we saw this earlier. Jesus is walking through the field with his disciples as they're plucking grain. So they're on one of these paths. And the way that seeds would be sown then is it wasn't you, you cultivated your field and then planted the seed, but it was actually you scattered your seeds all over the place and then you plowed the field. And so Jesus is saying, look, seeds being thrown all over the place. The word's being shared with everyone. And the first place that we see is that it can fall on the path. And the path, you could say, is, well, it's the hard-hearted. It's the people who hear, and it hits them, but they just doesn't sink in. Now, there's a few ways that this could happen. Immediately, you go to, oh, well, those are the people who are like atheists, right? And they're, they're all the time saying like why they don't believe and how they don't believe, and they're hostile maybe even to people who would profess to be followers in Christ. Uh, not, 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 not so fast. Sure, of course, that would be part of it. But again, think about it. These are people who are hearing the word of God. People who the seed is hitting, but it's not sinking in. And so as quick as we might be to find examples of other people, there's actually examples that it might be true of us. For example, the people right now in this room who might be in the most danger of this are actually life group leaders, youth group leaders, who are about to go lead a discussion of it this week. So they're sitting there taking notes and thinking, oh, am I going to ask this question? Am I going to ask this question? Did they actually post the discussion questions this time or am I going to have to wait until they post them later? The answer to that, unfortunately, is yes. Um, but they're, they're taking all these notes thinking, how am I going to say this? What am I going to do with them? What am I going to do with them? Hearing it, but before it can sink into their own hearts, they're just thinking, what am I going to do with it? And it's actually not sinking in. It's not transforming them. You see, Right away what this gets at, the reason that there's a mention of Satan in here, that he comes and snatches the seed away, it's not, it's not that Satan has this power to change your heart so that you don't believe, but it's getting at, you remember that cosmic battle between Jesus and Satan? He's saying, that's happening in your heart every time you hear the word of God. There is a battle for whether or not you're going to hear it and let it sink in, or if it's just going to, you're going to hear it but not really do anything with it not going to sink in at all, okay? Maybe, uh, maybe this just happens in my house, but um, it's kind of like the phrase, you listened to me, but you didn't hear me. Jesus is saying, look, there's plenty of people who listen to the word, but they don't really hear it. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. This is just an emotional exercise. It's not sinking into your emotions. But then he takes us to the next soil, this is the soil we see in verse 15. The ones along the path where the word is sown when they, excuse me, verse 16. And these are the ones on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of their word, immediately they fall away. So this is the group who receives it and they hear it and it gets, well, it gets emotional. It gets fun. Maybe they're kind of moved by it to, to tears or joy that it's doing something. And they're like, oh, I, I totally get this. But notice this is a shallow heart. So if the first soil was a hard heart, now this soil is a shallow heart. And here's the irony about this soil. 
what's the one thing a plant, well, it needs many things, but what's one of the things a plant actually needs to thrive? Sunlight. But what's the thing that kills this plant? Sunlight. It burns it off. It doesn't have a deep enough grasp. It kind of comes in, but it doesn't really sink in. And so the very thing that this plant needs to grow and to thrive, sunlight, is actually the thing that ends up killing it. And you see, this is true in our lives. When we come to God and we think, yeah, this totally makes sense. Like, here's why the world is broken because of our own sin. And then look what Jesus came to do and he put it back together. And now, like, I just believe in him and, like, he's going to make it all great again. And then something comes around where a trial of some kind or a difficulty of some kind comes into your life and you think, wait, 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 where's the secret? Where's the power of the kingdom? I'm not seeing the power here anymore. And what it reveals is that the thing you actually loved was the thing that the sunlight burned off. Now, God uses the sunlight to burn off lesser loves so that we can be more deeply rooted, so that we can bear more fruit, that these trials come into our life to produce more out of us. But here, it reveals that the thing you really loved was the thing that was threatened. You didn't get the relationship. You didn't get the financial gain that you thought. You didn't get the blessing you were after. And that ultimately, you were signing up for God to be your blesser, not to be your king. And you weren't necessarily receiving the word. You were just hoping to receive the blessing, and you didn't totally open your life for him to come in and transform everything. You just wanted him to drop blessing stones in. And rather than a seed, you wanted a stone. And I mean, come on, how often can this be true of us? So the next soil then that we're given is not the hard heart or the shallow heart, but we now see it's the divided heart. This is the heart where Jesus says, others are the ones sown among thorns. There's those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word. And it proves unfruitful. Now, this is an interesting group. Because you think, wait, are, are these people who have actually received the word? And they, it seems like it's sinking in. And it's not just going to burn off. But you can see this, and I love the word that he, Jesus used here, is, but desires come in. That there's a divided heart. That... You don't come to God and you can recognize, like, yeah, I do come to you sometimes just because I want you to bless my plans rather than open my whole life to you. And so I get that and I need to change that. But then actually no change is ever followed up on. You see, it doesn't actually bear any fruit. And it says that, yeah, it's sinking in, but it's not changing anything. And so it's deep and it's trying to grow, but it's getting choked out. And I love how Tim Keller quotes on this passage where he says, this is the only group who's actually unhappy. Right? The hard-hearted, they're cool. They're like, whatever, I heard it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, no, not for me. The other people, they, I mean, they at least got some joy, some emotion. And then they were like, oh, no, not for me. And they walked away to go get more joy and emotion somewhere else. This group, this is the worst one because you're just kind of stuck there 
where you know too much about Christianity to walk away from it, but you also have such cares of the world that it doesn't let you lean into enjoying all of the transformation that God wants for your life. And so you're stuck. I love the way Dane Ortland talks about, excuse me, um, there's so many Ortlands who write books these days. But I love the way that one of the Ortlands talks about how the original Ortland, who was like in the Billy Gam Crusades and part of that crew in the 50s, right? He says, you know, that the worst Christian is the, is the unhappy Christian who hasn't totally given their lives over to God. And they're just, they know enough about Christianity to feel guilty about their sin, but not so much to know the joys and the depths that Christ offers. And boy, is that me on a lot of mornings, <laughs> where you just are, are thinking, okay, here's everything that's crowding into my life. But the fact of the matter is, is that the challenge for us is to really come to grips with understanding that you cannot fit everything that our world and culture says about the good life into the same space with everything that God says about how we get the good life. There's just not enough room. And because there's not enough room, you just feel choked. And you feel stuck. And you feel condemned because, well, you're not getting all the benefits that those outside, you know, would get. But you're also not getting the benefits that you think Jesus is supposed to get. You just feel condemned on both sides. But what's great is that Jesus wants to set you free from that too. Is you don't have to be divided, you don't have to be shallow, you don't have to be hard-hearted. But instead, well, let me ask you, what would you fill in the blank for the next one? What would you call the next soil? The good heart? The righteous heart? How would you describe the next soil? If there's the hard-hearted, the shallow-hearted, and the divided-hearted, how would you describe the good soil. I mean, well, that's what Jesus calls it, right? Those who were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Well, here's where we run into the problem with parables that I talked about earlier. Because right away you would say, oh, I need to be good soil. How, wait, how does the soil change itself? Like, how does the soil get up and move away from the thorny part, and how does it not be the hard part? How does it, how do you become the good soil? And here you're kind of like, well, are we just torturing the metaphor? Like, don't take it that far. I don't think so. I think there's the reason that Jesus uses the soil. Again, it's because we're supposed to ask this question, well, how do I become the good soil? And this takes us back to how the kingdom works. Is your first thought, ah, Lewis is right. I need to make space in my life for the things of God, and I need to stop selling out to the things of the world. And so, you're going to hear the announcements today, and you're going to go, ah, life group, drop a stone in my garden. Ah, Bible study, drop a stone in my garden. Ah, do this thing. Yeah, make sure I sign up for this thing. Oh, yeah, breakfast at the crossing, this thing. And you're just dropping stones, hoping that it's going to kind of make space, displace things. And then, of course, you're going to wake up tomorrow, and you're going to get stones from work and stones from the rest of life. And all, you know, and all those stones other people dump into your life. And you're just going to go, how am I supposed to do all of this? This isn't transforming me. It's just, there's a battle for what's going to have place in my life. As Jesus is saying, it's not about placing things in your life. 
It's about how you're receiving the word. It's not go out, be a good soil. Make sure you're reading your Bibles this week. You, you do need to make sure you're reading your Bibles this week. Absolutely. But if you think that's how you're going to change, you're sadly mistaken. And you've missed the whole point of how the seed works in your life. Because he talks about how what could happen is that if you are the good soil, you'll bear 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold fruit. Now look, they didn't do that back then. All right? There's no such thing as like dwarf wheat, which can like produce incredible yields compared to what you'd plant. They didn't have that kind of stuff. Like maybe you'd pull in tenfold. When you start to get to 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, you're talking supernatural power transformation and change is how they would describe this even in the Old Testament. What you're talking about here is Jesus doing something incredible in your life that honestly you can't do. You can't produce so what? Do we just resign ourselves? Well, you know, I mean, uh, if, I'm not, if I'm not in, it must mean Satan took the seed away, or maybe I'm just a bad soil. I don't know. No, 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 that's not the point. Because then that would defeat the whole purpose of why Jesus says, whoever has ears, let him hear. He's saying, look, the point here is, are you opening up all of your life to me? Receiving all that I want to give you. And remember, it's not going to be by beating you over the head but it's going to be planting my love deeply into you. And so you could say this is the humble heart, the heart that comes to Jesus knowing that it's supposed to be good soil and it's not good soil. This is the heart that comes to Jesus knowing that it can't produce the things in its life, that only Jesus can produce the things in its life. It's the heart that's open to say, God, I'm not just going to give you one part, but I'm going to let the roots of your love grab into every part of my life. I'm going to surrender all of me to you. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants you to be able to have that seed, to be able to experience a much deeper transformation than you may actually be after. And so how do we get that? Well, we get it the same way the disciples got it. They had no idea what this parable meant. They had no idea what Jesus was talking about. And so what did they have to do? They had to go to Jesus. And you see, that's where this lands us this morning. Is that when we see that the secret of the kingdom of God is this seed, and that this seed is supposed to be received into our hearts like good soil, we recognize that we can't do that, and we have to go to Jesus. But what's amazing about this is that Jesus wants you to, and he's open to you. The only reason you can open your life to him is because he's first opened heaven for us, that he came and he's the seed who doesn't just tell us how to live, who doesn't just give us a blueprint and talk about transformation, but he's the seed who actually lives for us and died for us. And that's why we come to him with our whole hearts, open to everything that he could do. So let's pray. Father, we come to you now, admitting that we cannot be good soil. We come to you now asking not just to have our schedules displaced by things from church and our faith and 
spiritual disciplines, but we come asking that the roots of the things that control our hearts would be taken out and replaced, Father, by the roots of your love for us. And so, Jesus, we come open, knowing that we can't be what you've called us to be, but knowing that you've come to change us for that very reason. So do this in our lives, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.